What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. What's mine is God's, and I'm going to share it. What's ours is God's, and we're going to share it. Which of these four statements describes your relationship to money? Are you an owner, a thief, perhaps a socialist, or a generous steward of the sacred trust God has given to you? Are you and your spouse financial soulmates? And whose money is it anyway? The answer to that last question reveals whether God is first in your finances or not. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. If you're wondering if God cares about the way we use our money, consider this. The Bible contains more than 2,000 verses on the subject. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Money can often distract us from doing God's will, and it has the potential to enslave us if we're not careful. Today, Ron shares three keys to managing our finances God's way as he continues his series, His Money, Your Faith. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Ron in part two of his Something Good Radio message, Whose Money Is It Anyway? Our resistance to this kind of reminds me of a toddler. You ever heard the toddler's creed? I love little kids and toddlers. Our kids are you know, now grown a little bit and in college, but uh, I, I love little kids and toddlers. But I, I came across this years ago and it's so true. Called the Toddler's Creed. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If it's mine, it will never belong to anybody else, no matter what. If we are building something together on the floor, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. (laughs) Sounds just like a toddler, doesn't it? But a lot of us as adults, we don't grow out of the toddler years when it comes to our money because we say what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Okay? So, So making this transition from an ownership mentality to a stewardship mentality, again, it's a challenging one. Martin Luther, who was um, the man that God used to spark the Protestant Reformation back in the 1600s, says there are three conversions necessary in a person's life, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse or the wallet. The reason these are parallel highways and universes is because that third conversion hasn't happened in a lot of so-called Christians' lives. W.H. Griever said, stewardship is what you do after you say, I believe. So years ago, when I was kind of wrestling with these principles and trying to get you know, my heart and my mind around it, I, I decided to write a letter to my, my money, uh, kind of a Dear John letter. We, we needed to redefine the relationship a little bit. It had become too possessive on either side. And so here's what I penned. Dear money, breaking up is hard to do. But I need to tell you, I've met someone else. 
You've promised to secure my future and make me happy. I felt safe with you and believed we could grow together. But not long ago, you sprout wings like an eagle and flew away from me. I guess our relationship changed, or maybe I changed. Maybe you changed me. I'm not sure if I'm more possessive of you or vice versa. Can't live with you, can't live without you. I feel like a slave serving a master. I want my freedom back. So goodbye, money. I loved you once, but let's just be friends, okay? And that was just kind of my way of, of redefining my relationship with money and things and possessions. Now, at this point in our conversation, you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, you really think, Pastor, that, that money is an evil thing. No, I don't. There's nothing evil about money. And, and I, and I want to clarify that before we go any further. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. I don't know where you ever heard that, but there's nowhere in Scripture that it says money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. You have a, a, an unhealthy affection for money and the things that money can buy, and there are warnings all over Scripture. It threatens the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. This is why Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve God and money at the same time. You have to make a choice. Either one will be the Lord of your life or the other. Uh, money is neutral, though. M money is a currency. It's, it's, a, it's a, a medium of exchange. And there's nothing evil about money. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9 is where we get that phrase that we stumble over and misunderstand a bit. But the Apostle Paul was writing to a young protege in the ministry when he said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. When I wandered away from the faith and made a, an ill-advised financial decision that was based on a fake-it-till-you-make-it financial plan and, and based upon a financial worldview that says, I worked hard for this money, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, I went out and made a dumb car-buying decision. I felt the pang of that. It took a lot of years to dig myself out of that debt. I could barely make the car payments. Uh, well, it's just a long story there. It takes about two seconds to get into debt. It takes years to get out. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Back up to verse 9 there. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Not the rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. If God has blessed you with financial means and wealth, you don't have to feel guilty about that. It just means that you have a greater stewardship, a greater trust to whom much has been given, much is required, Jesus said. But you don't have to feel guilty about having more. And by the way, by the time you think you have a lot, somebody else has more than you. That's just, you know, how materialism works. Materialism is always relative to the next, you know, step on the, on the ladder that we're trying to climb, right? Somebody always has less and somebody always has more. But, but if, if God has blessed you, you don't have to feel guilty about that as long as you put the Lord first in your finances. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, the Bible says, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I've lived out some of that ruin and destruction, some of the uh, financial bondage that I found myself in, a slave to the 
the, the decisions that I made back then that put me in a debt position that, well, it, it just wasn't a good situation. But money itself is not evil. The principle is simply this, God owns everything. Second principle is similar to it, but it's, it's broader. Your life is not your own. It's not just about money, this transition from an ownership mentality to a stewardship mentality, but, but there's something more holistic here that we want to keep in mind. Jeremiah, in chapter 10 and verse 23, the prophet Jeremiah said, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for a man to direct his steps. Here, the ancient prophet of God had come to a settled conclusion in his life that even the very life that God had given to him, he didn't, he didn't own it. If you own it, you can do whatever you want with it. But when you come to that settled conclusion that neither my money nor my life belongs to me, even the direction of my life, it is not for a man to direct his own steps. Why? Because your life doesn't belong to you. It is a, it is a trust given to you and given to me. And the questions about the direction of our life and all of that must, must always come back to, Lord, what, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to invest my life? And what would you have me to do with it? I was trying to wrap my puny brain around these thoughts years ago, and I sketched out something called the whole life stewardship model. As for me, as much as anybody who might find some encouragement from it, and this model, if we can put it up on the screen here, was built around uh, Three ideas, the, the resources, relationships, and responsibilities that we all have in life. And you can just think about, you know, what resources God has given to you, what relationships he has entrusted to you, what responsibilities he has given to you in life. And uh, then, then I subdivided that into what I called the seven sacred trusts of life. They include time, money, the body that... Uh, uh, God has given to you, your family, your vocation, the earth, the ministry he's entrusted to you. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones. Whose money is it anyway? Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support of friends like you. This is especially important as we are asking the Lord to help us finish the year financially strong and in a position to reach even more people in the year ahead. So as you make your generous gift today, we have a very special thank you gift reserved for you. Some of life's greatest adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up. Each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible where I give you a bird's eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. You'll be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. 
The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips, five in the Old Testament and three in the New. Help our listeners understand the motivation behind that literary structure. You know, Brian, categorizing the various books of the Bible into eight separate groups is nothing new. Uh, They include the books of the law, the Old Testament historical books, uh, the wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets, Then we're into the Gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles, and we finish up with the general epistles in Revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's Word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of Scripture. Uh, What I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. That's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. Uh, My hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand. Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. You can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. And now let's get back to Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message. Whose money is it anyway? And, and what I concluded in my life through this little sketch that I, I made was that this was, this was all about God's ownership and, and my stewardship, my, my management of what He had entrusted to me. I also concluded that uh, life is both a test and a trust. These were, these were sacred trusts. And because of that, one day I would have to give an account to God, not only how I managed the money He entrusted to me, but also how I managed in a holistic kind of way all these areas of life. I mentioned earlier that Jesus told a lot of stories. We call them parables in the Bible. You'll find them all over the Gospels. And one of them is is found in Luke chapter 16. It's called the parable of the unjust steward or manager. And it's kind of a shot across the bow, a little bit of a warning, a reminder to us that yes, God owns it all and your life is not your own and one day you'll have to give an account It goes like this in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? 
Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Jesus told a lot of stories, and they had some variations to them, but uh, stories about a master who, uh, call him an employer maybe, who, who had great possessions, maybe went away on a long journey somewhere, but entrusted those possessions to a manager, and then he would come back, and, and the manager would have to give an account of how he managed uh, the, the master's or the employer's business. In this case, uh, there was a manager who, who wasted the employer's possessions, squandered the wealth. The report came back to the master, you got a bad manager over here. Now, the implication is we're all going to give an account. One day we will stand before the Lord as believers in Jesus Christ. This is called the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine whether you get in heaven or not, but, but to, to, to ask those questions about how well we managed the sacred trust God has given to us. We will give an account. And uh, the Scripture says this over and over and over again. Brings me to the third and final principle. And this one really flows out of the first two. God owns everything. Your life is not your own. Therefore, every financial decision is also a spiritual decision. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. It's a spiritual decision because it doesn't belong to you or me in the first place. It's somebody else's money. It's his money. And it's a spiritual decision because we will one day give an account of how well we've managed it and whether we've managed it to the glory of God and whether we've been faithful, not successful, but faithful with what God has given to us. And the principle in Scripture taught through the parables of Jesus is if you've been faithful with a little, then he'll entrust you with more. Uh, some of you may be sitting here and saying, you know, Pastor, this is all great for people who have a lot of money, but I don't have a lot of money to manage, and I'm just, I'm just trying to rub a couple nickels together and get by. Let me put some of this in perspective for you in terms of, again, God owns it all. Your life is not your own. Let's say you work for 40 years of your life from age 25 to age 65. And let's say on average you only make $25,000 a year. And by the way, that's below the federal poverty line, so I'm, you know, it's, not, it's not a great salary, okay? But on average, you made about 25000 a year over, you know, over 40 years. Just do the math. One million dollars. One million dollars passed through your hands. What did you do with that? How well did you manage that? And by the way, if we're just talking about our earthly portfolio, we'll talk about our eternal portfolio later, but if we're just talking about our earthly portfolio, building wealth has nothing to do with how much money you've made. There are plenty of bankrupt billionaires and millionaires. But it's about managing well what you've been given, living below your means, saving and investing, and putting God first in your finances. You can't say he's first in your life and last in your budget. It doesn't work that way. But all of the biblical principles and economic principles that we'll talk about over the next two or three weeks that are found in the pages of Scripture, and they're, they're many, they come to play in our lives when, when we answer this question, whose money is it anyway? 
and we establish the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and the leader of our finances, we put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and all these other worries you have in life will fall into place if you put him first. So whose money is it anyway? Well, maybe you're, maybe you're at a crisis in your life right now, and this is, this is a great time to be asking that question. What we don't know yet is when the crisis subsides, if it does, whether you'll return to two parallel freeways and highways and two parallel universes where your financial life and your spiritual life never, never interact, or whether God sets you on a brand new journey, on a multi-lane superhighway where followers of Jesus Christ who have adopted uh, a mentality uh, governed by and informed by biblical financial stewardship principles uh, lead their life and lead them into an experience and the enjoyment of true spiritual and financial freedom individually in your marriage and in a lot of other areas of life. I hope you'll join me in this journey. It's been an exciting one for my wife and I to travel over these years. We haven't always done it perfectly, but God has been faithful to the promises. Yes, the financial promises he's made in the pages of his word when we make a decision to put him first in our finances. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Whose Money Is It Anyway? Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, I can almost hear someone listening today saying, oh no, not another sermon about money. I imagine that's a fairly common response, isn't it? It sure is, Brian. There's no doubt about that. It sort of reminds me of how Moses may have felt in the book of Leviticus. You know, God repeated himself over and over and over again, and not just in Leviticus, but in many parts of the Pentateuch when he was preparing the Israelites to become a nation unto themselves. Uh, But here's the thing I'd, I'd say to encourage anyone who grows weary of messages about money or any other subject that may seem at first blush to be a bit overdone from the pulpit. You know, as pastors and teachers, it's our job to teach the Word of God. So if God himself talks about money over and over again, and by the way, he does, then to be a good steward of my role in the body of Christ, I'm obliged to talk about that subject often enough to demonstrate how important the subject is to God and to us. But let me also add something to the conversation, or should I say, at least expound on something I mentioned earlier today. Uh, This is not merely a message about money or about tithing or about giving. Uh, It is a message and a series about our lives. Even our own bodies and souls are not our own. They have been given to us for a reason. And, And we are stewards of those things just as we are stewards of the material possessions God has entrusted to us. So when I talk about stewardship, even though money is clearly an important part of that conversation, it is just that. It's a part, a part of the conversation. It's really about getting to a place in our walk with God that we can respond the way Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whether it's money or time or talent or anything else we've been given, we should strive to get to that place where we can say, not my will, but thine be done. So, friend, be encouraged today. Uh, This message is about so much more than what we do with our money. It's also about learning to live lives that are fully consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ in every area, uh, not just our financial life and our bank accounts. As the prophet Jeremiah said, our lives are not our own. 
Rod, we're almost out of time, but before we go, tell us what's on the menu tomorrow as you continue your series, His Money, Your Faith. Believe it or not, Brian, God does have a plan for us to live in financial freedom. And I'm sure many of our listeners have consulted financial planners, and as long as those counselors subscribe to biblical principles, I think that's always a good thing to do. But the best financial planner is the one who gives us our money in the first place. Uh, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the source of all of our blessings, material and otherwise. He gives us several principles in his word that will prevent us from becoming slaves to wealth, or in some cases, slaves to debt. Uh, he wants to set us free from those things, but the freedom God offers us is about a whole lot more than simply getting out of debt. So join me tomorrow to find out what his plan, his financial plan, a divine financial plan, is all about. Join us then for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares this message, God's plan for your financial freedom. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.